So I want to pick up where we left off last night. If you missed last night, I don't know if the recordings are available or not, but I began, I did two 45-minute sessions called uh, Miracles and the Supernatural Through Church History. And what, the basic premise of what we've been communicating is that God has worked supernaturally Ever since, you know, well, I mean, even before Jesus came, you had prophets and Moses and Elijah and different ones that God used miraculously. You know, God loves his creation and God loves his people. And so um, God wants to show himself strong. God wants to reveal himself. And, uh, you know, we, we know that the book of Acts, how many of you have ever read the book of Acts and just marveled? Wow, the Holy Spirit sure did some wonderful things. Can I tell you something? Uh, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed one bit. Jesus hasn't changed one bit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit still want their love and power uh, demonstrated in the earth to t touch lives and change lives and destroy yokes of bondage and, and bless people and raise people up. And so what we did last night was we started uh, around the year 100 A.D., at, you know, after, you know, John the Apostle was the last of the 12 apostles to pass away. And... Um, and they, uh, we, we just saw church leader after church leader all the way through, I think probably last night we got to about 500 A.D. or something of that nature. So we, we looked at pretty much 400 years of church history, how that all these church leaders continued to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God and so on. And, um, you know, but other church leaders talked about how there would be like miracles in one place, but then other churches, you know, kind of got just into hyper ritualism and formalism and they really lost um, their appreciation for the presence of God and the power of God. But wherever people were willing, wherever people were hungry, wherever people were receptive, God would show up and then God would show off. You know, God would demonstrate His love and His power. And all these different church leaders for the first 400 years of the church uh, would talk about God doing miracles and, you know, people prophesying by the Spirit. Uh, one person we talked about last night talked about how God used many people. They would, you know, preach in a language that nobody understood. Uh, but God would cause people to understand it, even though it wasn't their language. You know, kind of a certain application of what we might call tongues and interpretation. But I want to pick up, let, let's go back, let's pick up with the next slide that we have here. And um, let's move on to the next after that. We're going to be skipping some to get through this well. Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great. How many of you here are from a Roman Catholic background? I know Pastor Mark is from a Roman Catholic background. Did any of you ever hear of Pope Gregory? This is, this is Pope Gregory. And, um, and I want you to understand uh, what I'm about to say. I don't mean this as anything horrible or negative or critical. I mean, how many of you know everybody's got different opinions about things? 
And uh, around the 1500s, you had a group of men like Martin Luther and John Calvin that decided there were some real significant problems. You know, they believed that certain things within the institutional church didn't line up with the Bible. and, And so they started this Reformation. And, uh, you know, they found, you know, fault and problems with a lot of things in the institutional church. But even John Calvin, as much as he disliked uh, a lot of things that were happening within Roman Catholicism, John Calvin had a lot of really good things to say about Pope Gregory. Uh, Of course, this was, you know, 540 to 604, so it was really before, you know, some of the things that we now associate with Catholicism came into practice. Uh, But but actually, John Calvin said, and I hope you don't find this offensive, you know, but he said that Gregory the Great, Pope Gregory, was the last good pope. (laughs) Now, that was just his opinion, so, you know. Other people, I'm sure, have differing opinions. But he really liked, John Calvin liked Gregory the Great because he was very evangelistic. And um, Gregory said, these are his own words, he said, Now generally, we see holy men do wonderful things, perform many miracles, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, dispel bodily sicknesses by touch, and predict things to come by the spirit of prophecy. Isn't that amazing? He was, he was you know, might even say he was kind of a charismatic pope. Uh, you know, appeared to really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, our next slide is one of the missionaries that he sent uh, to England. Um, Augustine, now this is not the same Augustine from Northern Africa that we talked about last night. Uh, this is Augustine of Canterbury. And um, uh, it was said of him, uh, he and those that have been sent with him, he, he, he was a missionary to England, uh, are resplendent with such great miracles in the said nation that they seem to imitate the powers of the apostles. Isn't that something? See, some people want to say, well, the the apostles, you know, Peter, Paul, James, John, Matthew, they had power that nobody else had. You know, once they, once those 12, Paul was different than the 12, but once those first century apostles died, you know, God somehow pulled the plug on his power. But here's, here's Gregory, the Pope saying, this is Gregory's words, uh, that they seem to imitate the powers of the, of the apostles in the signs which they display. More than 10,000 Angli, English people, ha- are reported to have been baptized. And um, um, Gregory went on to say that the English, by outward miracles are drawn to inward grace. Do you know how powerful that statement is? See, some people think that, you know, God just does miracles because, you know, but but when God does a miracle, you know, there's, of course, benefit in the miracle itself, but it's always pointing to something that God wants to do inwardly. By outward miracles are drawn to inward grace. Then acknowledging that Augustine had received the gift of working of miracles, he cautioned him not to be puffed up by the number of them. 
Pastor Mark, can I tell you something? I've never had anybody tell me, hey, Tony, you've had so many miracles, don't get a big head. Nobody's ever had to say that to me. But Gregory had to caution because there were so many miracles happening, you know, you know, and he passed away around 604. So let's pop to the next individual that we have, Bernard of Clairvaux. Um, uh, you've heard of St. Bernard, and this is the original St. Bernard. St. Bernard is not really a dog, you know, that rescues people in the mountains. But um, there was an original Bernard of Clairvaux. And he said, the Spirit communicates himself for the working of miracles in signs and wonders and other supernatural operations which he effects by the hands of whomever he pleases, renewing, look at this, renewing the wonders of bygone times so that the events of the present may confirm our belief as to those of the past. When I experienced, if you were here last night, I shared how I got a healing in my back uh, from a sports injury. It happened in, uh, the the healing happened on June the 9th, 1977. I'd always heard about healings and miracles in the Bible. And, And I believed them because I believed the Bible was true. I believed the Bible was the Word of God. But in my life, you know, all 18 years of life that I'd lived up to that point, I never really heard about anybody experiencing healings or miracles by the hand of God in modern time. And so that night, when my back got instantly healed, all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, what happened to me that's what we've been that's what I've always heard about happening in the Bible. So he said that the events of the present may confirm our belief as to those of the past. He, the Holy Spirit, is bestowed on them for their benefit, for miracle working, for salvation, for help, for consolation, and for fervor. How many of you are seeing, if you're here last night especially, you know, we've seen that from the, from the year 100, you know, just following decade by decade, century by century, the Holy Spirit was always on the move. Anybody who would have their heart open to Him, be willing to receive from Him, the Holy Spirit was always willing to show Himself strongly. He just needed people who were willing to believe needed people who were willing to trust uh, Him and, and be open to the working and operation of the Spirit of God. Let's move to the next slide, if we could. Peter Waldo. That is not the origin of the game, Where's Waldo? But that was his name. And I will say this, because I've been pointing out for you know that he was a, also a Frenchman. He was French. Uh, he was from the city of Lyon. Uh, just, you know, he was from the same region that several different uh, great, uh, you know, spiritual leaders were from. And Peter Waldo, he was a reformer long before the Reformation. And they had, uh, they had, because they believed the Bible, they practiced praying for the sick. And they prayed for the sick in faith. And uh, they established, this is really one of their statements of faith, 
uh, I mean, this wasn't just something they occasionally did, but they really believed this so much that this is what they wrote. Therefore, concerning the anointing of the sick, we hold it as an article of faith and profess sincerely from the heart that sick persons, when they ask it, may lawfully be anointed with anointing oil by one who joins them in praying that it may be efficacious or effective to the healing of the body according to the design and end and effect mentioned by the apostles. And we profess that such an anointing performed according to the apostolic design and practice will be healing and profitable. How many of you know that, that God always had people who, who would say, you know what, Lord, I, I'm not going to just get into all this hyper-ritualism and hyper-legalism and all that. I'm going to believe what your Bible says. And as long as people were willing to believe the Bible, God was willing to meet them. We're going to jump ahead a little bit on our next slide, and we're going to go to somebody that probably everybody knows here. And if we can pop to the next slide, anybody know the name of Martin Luther? Uh, Martin Luther was a German. Uh, he was a monk and a priest, and he spent a lot of years in the monastery. And um, he, you know, what, what really upset Martin Luther was a practice called indulgences. And it's where people would be told, if you'll do certain things and if you'll give a certain amount of money, uh, then you can buy time off of purgatory. Wow. And, um, and, you know, if, if you're, you know, and, and he himself, like when he went to Rome, for example, uh, there are some stairs in Rome uh, anybody here ever been to Rome? You've been to the Lateran Palace, St. John's Lateran? Uh, there are stairs yet today that you will see people crawling up on their hands and knees. And I'm trying to think how many, is it 19 years off of purgatory for every step? Something like that. Wow. And, you know, every step, you know, you kiss it. And, um, and then you do an Our Father. And for every step that you go up and do that and pray... You or a relative can get X number of years knocked off of purgatory. And um, so this, this practice of indulgences was rampant in the Middle Ages. And so Martin Luther, as a really a pastor and a theologian, uh, he just began to look at some of these things, and then he compared it to what he saw in the Bible, and he just thought, you know, this is so far from the Bible. And, um, and so he, he had this, you know, his main uh, insight, uh, because it was the main problem of the day, really didn't have to do with healing or things like that. It had to do with what we call justification by faith. How many of you know that you are not saved by the good works that you perform? How many of you know you can't do enough good works to be saved? Uh, we're saved by works but the works of Jesus. We are saved because we could never save ourselves. We could never be good enough or do enough good works or do enough religious activity to earn our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. 
what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins. And so that was the message that absolutely consumed Martin Luther and really all the early reformers. That was their message, that we are saved by faith, not by our religious works. And, um, but, but Martin Luther did have some really powerful spiritual experiences, as you can tell. Uh, he writes, this is a letter or, or, or things that he wrote. He said, often it has happened and still does that devils have been driven out in the name of Christ. Also by calling on his name and prayer, the sick have been healed. Yeah. And again, that wasn't Martin Luther's main message or main activity. You know, he was trying to get this whole thing straightened out so people would understand, you know, how you really get right with God. Uh, but he did have some of these experiences and he wrote about them. He had, um, I guess you might call Myconius, Friedrich Myconius, a colleague of Luther's. Actually, Martin had a, a really wonderful associate named Philip Melanchthon. And Philip Melanchthon wrote that he was on his deathbed and that Luther prayed him out of death. And then Friedrich Myconius was a, a colleague of, of Luther in a different city. And he wrote Luther a letter. And it wasn't a very nice or encouraging letter. It basically said, Dear Martin, I'm about to die. And, you know, they didn't have all the medical things, you know, so certain diseases and stuff, you know, they just didn't have any help for it. Myconius recognized, I I'm about to die. And so he writes Luther a letter and tells him that and pretty much says, you know, nice knowing you, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to die. And Luther, Luther writes him a letter back. And, and it was a very strange letter. Because, you know, somebody writes you and tells you, hey, I'm about to die. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, you know, I, I pray you have peace and think, which, you know, that's all sweet and nice. But that's not what Luther did. Luther said, I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. And this is, these are Luther's direct words. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, and this is my will. And may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now, you know, I don't claim to know everything, but based on everything I've heard Brother Hagen teach and other people teach... I kind of think that's what we call the gift of special faith. Maybe some word of knowledge in there. I don't know. You know, honestly, it doesn't matter what we call it, but that is inspired by the Holy Ghost. That kind of boldness that just, you know, you know, I see, I remember, and, and I don't want to be negative, I don't want to be critical, but I remember growing up in church, you know, every Sunday they'd, you know, they'd read the names of, the, we had a little time called Joys and Concerns. And, um, you know, somebody might write out something that they were, you know, a little praise report or something, and then the concerns was, you know, well, you know, so-and-so's in the hospital. And I remember, you know, what they did was they just say, well, Lord, you know, Mary's in the hospital. And Lord, we just, we just ask you to be with Mary. Well, the Lord's already with Mary. You, under, you understand? 
So, you know, it's kind of like, Lord, we ask the sun to rise in the east tomorrow. The sun's going to rise in the east tomorrow, whether you ask the Lord for it to rise in the east or not. But just this kind of boldness. I just, I just think there was a powerful, supernatural uh, work of God that, you know, came out of Luther. And um, they didn't necessarily have a lot of teaching about this or understanding about it. But the fact of the matter is the Holy Ghost and His gifts uh, and faith and healing and supernatural deliverance were just, you know, they were right in the middle of all this. Okay? Let's go on to our next slide. Anybody, do you know any Quakers? Anybody know any Quakers? Um, and some, Cooper Beatty, one of our teachers at Rama, was a Quaker. And um, um, most people, they, they, if, how many of you ever had Quaker oats? Okay, so now we're, you know, getting in everybody's, you know, zone here. Uh, But George Fox was the founder of the Quakers. And last night we read a little um, statement by D.L. Moody that every denomination had its roots in revival. And George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, talking about some of his meetings, said, the Lord's Power broke forth, and I had great openings and prophecies, and spoke unto them of the things of God, which they heard with attention and silence, and they went away and spread the fame thereof. Many great and wonderful things were wrought or produced by the heavenly power in those days, for the Lord made bare His omnipotent arm and manifested His power to the astonishment of many by the healing virtue whereby many have been delivered from great infirmities and the devils were made subject uh, through His name." Those are the Quakers, the, the, the friends sometimes they're referred to, the friends. Um, we, we read a description, next slide, of a friend of George Fox. Uh, he, he, he describes some of these meetings that these original Quakers... Did you ever stop to think why they called them the Quakers? Because they, they'd get under the power of God. And, and, and they would shake physically, that the power of God would be so strong that they would shake or quake under the power. And, and one of George Fox's friends described the meetings and he said, We received often the pouring down of the Spirit upon us and the gift of God's holy eternal Spirit as in the days of old. And our hearts were made glad. They might have had a joy meeting or something. And, um, and our tongues were loosed and our mouths opened. And we, we what, what was it they did? They, oh yeah, they spoke with new tongues. As the Lord gave us utterance and as His Spirit led us, which was poured down upon us on sons and daughters. Isn't that awesome? That is so powerful. Let's jump to another slide. Uh, We're going to talk about this guy. Does anybody want to try to pronounce his full name? Zinzendorf. Thank you very much. Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And sometimes, sometimes you will see his full name. That's just part of it. Count. You know the count? We're not talking Count Chocula. All right. But Count. He was a German Count. K 
Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. And um, how many of you have never heard of, of Nicholas Zinzendorf? Let me see. You've never heard of him. Uh, we're going to talk about him for just a minute because he, he was one of the most strategic persons that God used in church history. Um, if, if, if it had not been for Zinzendorf, we probably never would have heard of John Wesley. That's how significant he was. But, but Zinzendorf was a super wealthy guy. And he had this massive estate. And there was a group of, of, a small group of Christians that were being persecuted no matter where they went. And they heard about Zinzendorf and they went to him and said, could you give us a place to live, set up kind of a colony? And he opened his estate and it was a place in Germany called Herrenhut. And... Um, uh, this group was the Moravians. And the Moravians, uh, Zinzendorf became their leader. They had uh, enormous revival. As a matter of fact, they had a 100-year prayer meeting that went 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 100 years. And they literally sent out hundreds of missionaries uh, all over the world when pretty much nobody else, Protestants weren't really doing missions. The Protestants, they just wanted to reform the church. But Zinzendorf had a, a vision of, of missions. And um, so, but they had tremendous outpourings. He said, to believe against hope is the root of the gift of miracles. Meaning you've got to be willing to believe against, you know, what appears to be the natural circumstances, to believe against hope. And he said, and I owe this testimony to our beloved church that apostolic powers are there manifested. See, that's another reference to the same power that the apostles had was operating in churches long after the original 12 apostles were, you know, long, long, long gone. But he said, we have apostolic powers operating in our church. And he said, we have had undeniable proofs thereof and the unequivocal discovery of things, persons and circumstances, which could not humanly have been discovered in the healing of maladies in themselves incurable, such as cancers, tuberculosis. When the patient was in the agonies of death, all by means of prayer or of a single word. And so Zinzendorf, they, they led this massive hundred-year prayer meeting uh, with, complete with miracles and outpourings of the Spirit, manifestations of the Spirit. And we go to our next slide, and it is John Wesley. I need to talk about Wesley for a minute. How many here have a Methodist background? Anybody here have a Methodist background? I know my wife does. We got married in the Methodist church. And I actually got saved in a Methodist youth camp and got spirit-filled at a Methodist church when they had in a charismatic evangelist. And, and uh, my mom was Methodist, so I have a real appreciation for the Methodist. But um, Wesley, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, which today I'm trying to think 50 million adherents 
identify with the Methodist movement around the world. But anyway, Wesley was a real religious guy. Uh, He was uh, an Anglican priest. Uh, He was educated at Oxford, so he was a real brilliant scholar. And he actually was a missionary. Did you know that John Wesley was actually a missionary to America? And he had a miserable experience. He was only here for three years. And he was a missionary to Savannah, Georgia. If you go there, you'll still find some statues of him and things of that nature. But um, Wesley had a really bad experience as a missionary. You know why? Because he wasn't really saved yet. You say, wait a minute, can a missionary not be saved? Yeah. Did you know a preacher might not be saved? Just because somebody has a title or has an education doesn't mean that they're born again. And uh, Wesley, I'm trying to think if it was on the, I think it was on the ship ride over to America. Uh, they got in a horrible storm. And these are, you know, these wooden ships, you know, no electricity, none of the modern <clears throat> navigational thing. And the storm was so horrible that the main, what do you call that? The mast snapped. And I mean, it looked like the ship was going down. And here's Wesley. He's an Anglican priest. He's a missionary to America. And um, he's terrified. Do you know why he's terrified? Because he's thinking if this ship goes down, you know what his mentality was, his thought, I don't know if I'm good enough to go to heaven. I don't know if I've done enough good works. Do you know there's millions of people, millions of people on this earth who mentally believe in Jesus, but in their heart of hearts, they really are believing in themselves. And they don't know if they're good enough. They don't know if they've done enough good. They don't know if they... Can I tell you something? You're not good enough to go to heaven. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I can't work my way into heaven. I'm not religious enough to go to heaven. Heaven's for one type of person. That's a forgiven person. And, And the way that forgiveness is available to us is not by trying hard and doing good deeds and doing religious works. The, the way we get forgiven is by trusting in what Jesus did for us. That's why the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. And so, Wesley's on this ship, and it looks like it's going to sink. It didn't, but it looked like it was going to, and he's terrified. And he, he, he's wrestling because he... He feels like, you know, I'm a minister, I should, you know, but, but he didn't have any, he didn't have saving faith. Right. And, um, but you know what he hears? He hears down deep in the ship, he hears singing. And there's some people that are in the same ship, same traumatic circumstances, but you know what? They're singing and they have joy and they have peace. They're just, they're celebrating. There's a confidence and assurance and it bothered him. That they had this peace and he didn't have it. Do you know who those people were? Moravians. They were people from Zinzendorf. And it, so Wesley comes on to America, has a really bad experience. And one of the things he wrote in his journal was because he was going to work among the Native Americans. And he said, I came to America to save the Indians. But who shall save me? He, he just, he didn't have it. And he just had a miserable time here, three years, went back to England. 
And, and, he, and he went to a prayer meeting, a Moravian prayer meeting. And he heard, he heard the gospel. He heard from, they were reading from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. And um, he wrote that night uh, that his heart was strangely warmed. His heart was strangely warmed. And he said, I, I knew, I, I knew I trusted in Christ. I knew he... See, what he had probably known at the head level, he now knew at the heart level. And that launched Wesley into a, a great search, a great pursuit of the presence of God, the power of God. He was very much against, you know, dead formalism and dead ritualism. He wanted everybody else to have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, and when you read, there's so, we, we could spend hours and hours just talking about Wesley's experiences. You know, he, he, one time he prayed for a guy, they called him to pray for the guy because he was sick. And he got there, and by the time he got there, he said, this guy was stiff and cold. He said, I got here too late, this guy's dead. But they'd asked him to come pray for him, and he prayed for him, and the power of God hit the man, and the dead man rose. <laughs> And read about that in his journal is a guy named Mr. Myrick. And you can read about Wesley praying for his... Wesley rode on horseback preaching the gospel. They estimate 250,000 miles. That's 10 times around the earth, you know, plus an extra thousand. Um, he prayed for his horse and he said God healed his horse. Uh, he recorded one time Wesley said at, at about three in the morning as we were continuing instant in prayer. Now, listen, if you know, if you've got a group and you're praying at three in the morning, something's going on. Otherwise, you wouldn't be praying at three in the morning. But he said uh, the power of God came mightily upon us in so much that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. See, we think, you know, when I was 18 and in 1977 and first stepped into the charismatic, I saw people falling. I thought, wow, this is new. No, it's been around a long time. West, they used to have people falling under the power of God. And he said, as soon as we were recovered a little, as soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise Thee, O God. We acknowledge Thee to be Lord. Now, and I'll just say this and, and move on, but there have been hundreds of outpourings of the Spirit, thousands of outpourings of the Spirit over the centuries. Wesley's, th those were a pretty remarkable you know, because they lasted a long time. But one thing, the people that you see have moves of God and they're sustained. It's because when they have the manifestations, they, they focus back on God. They don't, they don't build altars around the manifestations. They, they keep, you know, the manifestation happens. Maybe people fall down. But then they, they, tur they turn their focus back on yeah, God himself. Yeah. Yeah. They don't say, well, let's try to make everybody fall. Right. You know, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't chase 
the manifestation. They, they focus on the glory of God. Let's go to the next slide on Wesley. One time Wesley was accused by a guy. And this guy said, uh, we hear that you have people healed in your meetings. Like Wesley was, oh, no, no, that doesn't happen in our meetings. This guy accused him of having, you know, people healed in, in their meetings. And, and he, he was so eloquent. Look at, he says, as it can be proved by abundance of witnesses that these cures were frequently, indeed almost always, the instantaneous consequences of prayer, your inference is just. Now see, if that had been me, I would have just said, yeah, yeah, we've had people healed in our meetings. Wesley was way too eloquent for that. And he said, um, I cannot, dare not affirm that they were purely natural. I believe they were not. I believe many of them were wrought or produced by the supernatural power of God. It's the founder of Methodism. Now, uh, another uh, element from Wesley here, another slide from him. This is so powerful. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. He's very, that, that's a prophetic statement. That's, that's prophetic insight. But you know what? In addition, I think that's prophetic, but I think he also, he understood history. He understood history. That whenever there's a move of God, yeah. you know, that people will celebrate that. They'll gather around it. But if they don't, no, notice what he said. If they don't hold fast the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set he said they'll just become a dead sect. Right. He said it's not that they won't exist. They'll just become a dead sect. Right. Let's move on to the next slide. Uh, I'm going to skip this part. Uh, again, we're running a little bit out of time. Let's go ahead and skip to the next slide. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he's our first guy American that we're going to talk about. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, right before, you know, 20-some years, 25 years before the war for independence in the United States, uh, there was a, a, a great revival that really swept the entire colonies. Starting at about 1740, it was what was called the Great Awakening. And, and the main evangelist of the Great Awakening was a guy named George Whitfield. He was a friend of Wesley from England. And like Wesley, when Whitfield would preach, uh, you know, uh, many times there would be people falling under the power. Uh, many times people would get under such conviction of sin that they would start screaming out for mercy from God in the middle of the sermons. I mean, you know, uh, such a powerful uh, move of God, revival. And um, Jonathan Edwards, many people recognize his name because he preached a sermon that shook the nation. Well, it wasn't even a nation and shook the colonies called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And um, some people think that all he did was preach hellfire and brimstone, but he, re he really preached a lot on the love of God and the mercy of God. But he did preach one sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he let people know, without Jesus, you're going to hell. Yeah. 
And I mean, it shook, you know, I think in his little tiny community in Connecticut, I think they had 600 people born again, baptized and added to the church in like a six month period of time. Just, just amazing, amazing revival. They had people falling under the power of God and sometimes they were stuck to the floor for as much as 24 hours. And I mean, people would try and they couldn't move them. They, it was like they were glued by the power. And people would come from all around just to, you know, and it was, you know what it was? It was a sign and a wonder. It made people wonder. And um, so, but when, uh, uh, um, Edwards was probably, he's, he, many people have considered him to be America's greatest theologian, at least in that era. He was a great intellect and, you know, great, uh, brilliant theolog- uh, theological thinker. And he was aware, something that everybody that's been around knows, that anytime you have a move of the Spirit, you, you'll have some people get in the flesh. You know that? And some people are going to do some silly things or goofy things. But it's like Brother Hagin said. He said, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all. And um, so uh, uh, Edwards wrote something. If we can go to the next slide. Edwards wrote a book called The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. And what he did was he wrote to teach people how to flow accurately in the Holy Spirit and how not to get in the flesh and how not to yield to a wrong spirit. How many of you know sometimes a a religious spirit? You know, somebody will get motivated by something that's not, not God at all. It's not even just flesh. It's kind of, you know, the devil loves to counterfeit stuff. But they had such a move of God that he wrote this book called The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. And just the very fact that he had to write this book tells you that they had so many manifestations happening. How many of you know that the Corinthians... You know, Paul had to write 1 Corinthians 14 to try to get them, hey, guys, you're kind of going into the ditch here. He wasn't trying to get them not to have the gifts of the Spirit. He was trying to get them not to be, you know, walking in the flesh and out of order and that type of thing. Even 1 Corinthians 13, what we call the love chapter, was written in the context of, you know, if you're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you also need to operate in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, um, but he said, if if it's really the spirit of God, number one, I'm going to summarize these. It's going to exalt Jesus. Um, number two, it's going to work against Satan and and sin and so on. It's going to cause people to respect the Bible more. It's going to be marked by the spirit of truth. And it's going to, if there's a real work of God, a real move of God, then people who've been a part of it, they're going to love God more and they're going to love their brother, their sister in Christ more. So, so we just see that, you know, even in the, before America was even a nation, when it was just independent colonies, you had this massive, you know, amazing revival sweeping the land. Real quickly, let's look at another one or two. Let's skip Edward Irving. Uh, here's a statement. If we can go back one, uh, Jerry Horner said, in reality, the day of miracles has not passed. It is simply that for many people, the day of miraculous faith has passed. And that's such a powerful statement. Let's go uh, one more. 
uh, I wish we could talk about Finney. You can read that statement while I'm talking. I'm not going to read it. But Finney's revival, Finney was a part of what was called the second great awakening in America. Um, and you had what, in, in Kentucky, you had what were called the, the Cane Ridge Revival. And that was the real rural folk of America. And that's where you had camp meetings. And uh, I mean, real camp meetings where people brought their wagons and their horses and they camped and, you know, slept in tents. And, and at those Cane Ridge revivals, you had every kind of outpouring and people falling under the power and people being healed. But while the country folk were having a great time in Kentucky, uh, Finney, a former attorney, was, you know, kind of leading a revival more among the intellectuals and things of that. How many of you know God loves everybody at all levels of society and every economic level, every societal level and all that? But, but sometimes in Finney's revival, so many people got saved in a community. There are actual recordings of police uh, records where police wrote, you know, ever since Finney's revival, uh, we don't have anything to do anymore because all the crime had stopped. Bars shut down. Brothels shut down. Because, you know, pretty much, you know, pretty much everybody in the city had been so impacted by the power of God. Let's, let's move from Finney. Uh, this is, uh, let's go. We're going to skip a few here. Uh, skip, skip, uh, keep skipping, keep skipping, um, keep skipping, keep skipping. We're going to close with this one. Go back to D.L. Moody. Uh, D.L. Moody was the Billy Graham before Billy Graham was around. He was America's evangelist. Uh, when you look at the great evangelists in American history, you have um, probably George Whitfield was the first great evangelist, then Finney, then um, D.L. Moody, then Billy Sunday, and then finally Billy Graham. Those are probably the five you know, most you know, well-known, most impacting. But look at what R.A. Torrey, one of his associates, said. And actually what happened is that some ladies came to Moody at one of his meetings and said, you know, you're a good preacher, but you need the Holy Ghost. And he, did, he had no idea, what are you talking about? And, uh, but he got to study and praying and everything and, and really started asking God. You know, and, and his associate, R.A. Torrey, said the power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street and he had to hurry off to the house of a friend and ask that he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours and the Holy Ghost came upon him, filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand lest he die on the spot from very joy. He went out from that place with the power of the Holy Ghost upon him. So, you know, we're barely, we're not even into the 20th century yet. Uh, we'll have a book out on this in, in, within a year or so. And, um, you know, maybe Pastor Mark will let you know when that book is available. But I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit never went into retirement. No, no, no. You know, people have turned their back on the Holy Spirit. 
But the Holy Spirit's always been looking for opportunities to flood His church, flood His people. And we quoted the verse last night from Acts 4.29 where uh, the believers of the first century prayed, And now, Lord, grant Your servants that with all boldness they may speak Your Word and that by stretching out Your hand to heal... Uh, and perform signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus, your holy servant, Jesus. The reason they had the kind of results they had was because of the kinds of prayers that they prayed, was because of the kinds of expectancy they had, because of the kinds of faith and trust that they had. So all this has done for me in studying this and then being privileged to teach it some, it's just stirred up my heart to say, God, we just, you know, we don't want to settle with, you know, going through the motions, going through the mechanics. Um, God, we, we want fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh oil from heaven. And, um, and we want your presence. Father, in Jesus' name, what a joy it is to belong to you. What a joy it is to belong to Jesus. And Lord, I just pray, you know, that, that Lord, we're not coveting anything for ourselves personally. But Lord, for your entire body, we want to see the power of your spirit. We want you to work through people as you see fit, as you distribute different gifts and endowments and abilities. Father, we just want to see a church, uh, your church, your body, just filled with your power and your presence. And, and Father, help us to walk in the kind of love, in the kind of unity, in the kind of maturity that will help us to be good vessels of your glory. Father, we just thank you that you'll be glorified through all of the preaching, all of the teaching, all of the, the operations of your spirit. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.